All right. So, topic. Are you listening? What? Oh, no. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother, Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled, Watching the Words Go By. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 46. Yeah, so I didn't have a particular way into this topic, um, but because so many of the issues in the world um, often boil down to communication and understanding, and I've been thinking about this topic for, well, I mean, for a long time, but um, specifically across this year, you know, calendar year 2015, because I was designing a course for first-year students called Silence. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, with silence in the topic anyway. Um, yeah, I'd been thinking about the, the the concept, the skill of listening and all of its many implications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it would be a good topic. I hope so. Um, I, I do want to mention, I like the idea that your course is titled Silence. I think it would be um, it would be fun to have a course titled Silence with an exclamation point, like a like a supervillain, you know, mm-hmm. telling telling their minions to stop prattling. Mm-hmm. I should be yeah, I should be clear. The the full title is Shh, the Power of Silence. Mm. So it is S H yeah. H H exclamation point, and then the Power of Silence, and then. Mm-hmm. In shorthand, when I talk about the topic, I say silence. Very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would be a good topic in particular, seeing as last week we talked about music. Mm-hmm. Um, now we're going to talk about listening, which you must do if you want to have music mm-hmm. in your heart. Music and um, listening. <laughs> music and listening, yeah. Um, well, seeing as you're teaching a course on it, whether you've got a way in or not, um, do you have anything interesting or productive or, or, um, any, any particular places you'd like to get to? Maybe we'll just start with the destination. Mm. Uh, no, that's the part I don't know, I think. (laughs) 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 Um, maybe, maybe I'll just bring up a, a tidbit from, um, the course itself and something that I've been thinking about. Um, okay, I'm listening. So I oh yay, that's very good. That's a good position from which to begin a listening position. So I've taught a course on interpersonal communication. I've got communication training from uh, my time as a competitive speaker on the college circuit, and then also now as a um, a teacher of many things, including writing and this first year liberal arts seminar, as we call it, um, and a competitive speech coach as well. Um, So I've been thinking about the role, the formal conscious role that listening should have in any type of communication um, in different ways for a long time. Um, But even having these experiences and being a person who is sensitive to this topic, it's still not something that is easy for us to we're still. I feel like in in all these different areas in in education and in work and even in our personal lives, we still treat listening as something different and separate from all these other skills that we 
focus on. Um, so when it, something I'm thinking of in particular is, um, I've brought up the work of Julian Treasure before on the show. Um, mm-hmm. His company, it sounds very mysterious, and I've only proposed conjectures of what he actually does, but he's something of a sound engineer for giant corporations, um, which my guess in the in the past has been that this means his company helps other companies design the sound experience of their corporate spaces, so their buildings and their offices and their real t- retail spaces and whatever else, um, which makes sense to me, knowing what we do know about, um, like we talked about, how music affects mood, but also how the acoustics of a space and everything else can affect how you do your work in that space. Um, mm-hmm. But Julian Treasure, in one of his TED Talks, which we'll link to in notes, um, talks about, he sort of closes the talk in this, it's a, a very brief but very clear call to action. He basically suggests that listening needs to be taught as a conscious skill in schools. Um, so right along with you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, there ought to be an L for listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I I think that's um I would agree with that a hundred percent. Um I think too, one of the problems um one of the problems that, that this topic has is when it is taught, I think it's also taught kind of poorly. Mm. Um, you know, mentioning school, you made me think of one of the few things that I looked up before we started, which was um one of the most common pieces of advice I've encountered about listening is is the practice of active listening, mm-hmm. um, which at a very a very superficial level, which, um, by the way, uh, advocates of active listening, superficial is all you've got, um, is the process of feeding back to uh, the, the speaker what you're hearing from them. Um, so you what know. you're saying, so, Max, is that um, using feedback channels is important in communicating and active listening. Mm-hmm. Exactly, which is, um, and most of the times I've encountered this in in uh, in classes, in the business literature, in psychological literature about conflict resolution, uh, it's it's not often any deeper or or more profound sounding than what you did right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, if you really think about it and you really practice it literally the way it is taught, you will be doing that to people throughout their entire discourse to you. <sighs> And it's annoying and it's condescending and I don't think it's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think there's it, what it gets at. There's a version of that. It is good to feed back to somebody enough so that they know that they're being heard. Um, for instance, when you get to the end of, of, of your point, if I make a comment or ask a question that shows that I've synthesized what you said, that makes you feel heard and makes you feel validated. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, you know, if if... After you got through your first two sentences, I say, so So what I'm hearing from you is that you are teaching a class and that in the course of preparing for the class, you've encountered research from Julian Treasure. <laughs> you know, that's not that's not helpful. Right, right. That's not that's not a useful process. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't know. Uh, it, I, so I, I do think when even when we're taught listening, it's it's at that level or it's at the level of very trite things like, you know, oh, well, you've got one mouth in two ears. So so listen better. Yeah, so therefore you should listen twice as much because that's how evolution works. <laughs> Mathematically. Uh, I, th- I think part of the problem with those sort of trite, you know, summaries of the way things ought to be, 
I think what a lot of those things communicate is that we should know how to listen better and it's just a matter of choosing to listen better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think in a lot of this, and, and this happens with other types of, of skills and awareness too, but because we have to do it all the time, I think collectively we take for granted that we know how to do it well. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or that we take for, or we take for granted that, um, because I do think to a certain extent, like, you know, for, for listening, listen well is better advice than a lot of the actual advice that's given. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, there are skills involved. Um, and, and I have a couple of things on that note I'd want to talk about too. I mean, there are things that, that we might not be thinking to do that we can choose to do. Um, but I do think a lot of the time that listen better is not, is not in itself bad advice. But the thing I would say, I actually encountered this, uh, just this week, I was revisiting a book, um, called Fooled by Randomness, uh, which is is by a fairly successful um, stock trader um, uh, named Nicholas Taleb, who is, uh, and he, he, he has written three books on uh, roughly this topic at this point, about how a lot of modern life is, is random, or essentially random, or, or at least its causes are completely unknowable to us. Um, but we're kind of wired to treat the world as a series of causal stories. Sure. Um, and, and overestimate our own impact on events and things like that. But one thing he, he talks about in the final section of Fooled by Randomness, which is kind of on like practical advice and dealing with randomness, is uh, the way that we're often impenetrable to advice because we know what to do. The knowing isn't even the hard part. Um, it's, it's the doing. It's like, you know, if somebody is trying to lose weight and you'd say, well, why don't you just try to eat more fruit? The knowledge that eating more fruit would be good for them and helpful in their quest is not what's missing from this equation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, maybe you shouldn't eat at McDonald's every day for lunch. Well, there's probably people who don't know that's a bad thing to do. But there's way more people who do, and there are other reasons why they are doing mm-hmm. it. Reasons of habit, willpower, budget, time, you know, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think listening is kind of the same. Like, I think in a lot of cases we do know what to do. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of cases, it is as simple as listen well. It is as simple as shut your mouth mm-hmm. and use your ears and take in what the other person is saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that we are, we all have our own thing we want to get out there. We are concerned with being understood. Um, we are up in our own heads. Oh, yeah. I'm up in my own head all the time. I'm sometimes on this show. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just walking around, sitting on the brain couch. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, but... You know, we know we know what to do in a lot of cases, even with listening, even with the skill that is not well taught. We know what to do. The question isn't knowing, it's remembering to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So practice, not knowledge. Mm-hmm. We need yeah, to do it that's in a good practice. Way of, that's a very good way of putting mm-hmm. it. No, I think you're right. Um, so previously I'd mentioned my institution hosted a workshop with a, a communication consultant and sort of a corporate consultant named Paula Pace. Um, whose website we So can... you're saying that Paula Pace held a workshop oh at your institution. And it was not like what Max and I are doing to each other right now. <laughs> it was better I'm than I'm hearing that. that what we're doing to each other right now might not be the best thing. <sighs> so, and this is, a, this is a tangent, but that we keep doing it reminds me of it. Um, <laughs> in that interpersonal communication class and actually in my, the, sil- the silent seminar I'm doing right now, um, I do have an activity where I ask students to, in a forced 
conversation with each other. They have mm-hmm. to demonstrate these different types of nonverbal listening cues. <laughs> so mm-hmm. some, I mean, and sometimes verbal, right? So different uh, types of listening responses. So some people will get um, the instruction to back channel, which is what we're doing, everything that their partner says. So the topic might be something like, um, <laughs> our institution should have a longer fall break, and here's why I think so. And the other person is just meant to back channel to summarize and reinterpret everything they're saying <laughs> back to them. Um, some people are given the instruction to stone face them. So absolutely <laughs> no verbal or nonverbal cues back to the person whatsoever. You're just absolutely still and silent. <laughs> that one's really hard for people your, your to do. class could be called discomfort. Well, it's productive though, because it draws your attention to it. Oh, sure. No, it. absolutely. Yeah. And it's really fun. Uh, like, let's be honest. Sometimes it's just really fun to be a teacher. Yeah. So, so a question, a question to advocates of active listening just occurred to me mm. when you when you're talking about back channeling. So, would somebody who's advocating active listening advocate that both parties in a conversation engage in it at the same time? Oh no! So you just say the same sentence so again. I, and again. <laughs> I feel that that you have been distant and not sharing what's going on with you. So I'm hearing from you that you feel that I've been distant and not sharing. So I hear from you that you're feeling that I'm feeling that. Mm. Yeah. It's like a just, an eighth hand story. He said that she said that he said that he said. Yeah. 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 So, Paula Pace. Um <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. So this and I I mentioned it before. I was really glad that this workshop um it was not patronizing. It was grounded in some good perspectives that help us understand why miscommunication and why we make bad communication choices happen, you know. Um, so it was beneficial. It was productive. What I really appreciated though, was that, uh, this consultant, when she started the workshop to get us in that frame of mind, she pointed out that there would be things that she would talk about that day that we've already heard of. Um, Mm -hmm. so it was not, you know, a lot of the knowledge was not going to be new knowledge. It might just be a reminder. It might just be, um, putting it all together in one context. She pointed out that, of the things that we are familiar with, we could already be doing them. We could already be doing them very often and we're old pros at them, whatever. Um, You might be a listener. (laughs) That's right. And then she said the final category of stuff would be either things no one had ever thought about in depth or people hadn't actually tried to practice or they hadn't done them in a while. So it would just be Mm -hmm. a call to pick up those good habits again. So I appreciated that she didn't try to say, we're all awful at this and I have the magical powers that are going to help you <laughs> do it. I have discovered how to listen. <laughs> and you won't guess how. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's, I, I think that, that, I mean, obviously I'm going to agree with that. Cause I kind of just said something mm-hmm. very similar with my, you know, we, we, you know, it is enough sometimes to say, um, listen well is good enough advice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do know a lot of the stuff. Um, that doesn't mean it's not good to hear it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I will say, um, unfortunately, I think in the same book, he also encourages active listening. So mm-hmm. bonk. Um, but uh, I'll cite Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, one of the eponymous seven habits, uh, habit five, is seek first to understand and then to be understood. Mm. Uh, which... 
say what you will about Covey and and his whole generation of self-help authors, I do think that is pretty powerful advice. Um, the metaphor he uses is is um, that listening and understanding is like psychological air. Um, and and I think that's one of the reasons why, I mean, even even from, you know, we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the prospects of having to sell yourself and your ideas to the world mm-hmm. and explain why you're valuable and all that. Um, I, I do even think it's a little bit manipulative, but I even think that, that as a persuasive technique, it's very powerful to hear somebody out, hmm. to listen to their side first. Um, and, and certainly there are contexts where, um, even just from a straight sales perspective, that's a good thing to do. Um, when I was at Franklin Covey several years ago, a lot of my job was sales. And a lot of the way that I succeeded at that was by asking questions and then listening to people talk about what they were looking for. Because very often they didn't know what they were looking for, but they knew what their problem was. Sure. And that's where you your know. expertise could come in. Right. And and even setting aside expertise, I mean, even even at a very superficial, shallow level, if you really hear what somebody's saying, if I don't have a lot of expertise, but I actually hear what the problem is, I might at least have an idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I, you know, somebody comes in and they're saying, you know, oh, I just, I feel like I'm all over the place. Things are falling through the cracks. I don't have a handle on my time. I'm behind on this big project. And I say, well, you know, we have a 75% off sale on some of our clearance computer bags right now. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't need expertise if I'm sitting in a store full of day planners and organizing gear um, to help them with the problem they just described. Uh, better than somebody who is just looking to sell, mm-hmm. who isn't looking to listen first. Right. Um, and that's, that's a pretty shallow example, but I mean, can, can the listener or you tell me you've never been in a store where somebody did that, that basic thing, mm-hmm. you know, you're there with a very specific problem in question. And the first thing out of the first three people's mouths that you see is, did you know about our holiday sale? Mm-hmm. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that can be frustrating. Well, they, you know, even not in terms of seeking to solve their problem, sometimes part of listening is, is just step one, affirming whatever is coming out of their mouths. You know, mm-hmm. I think the, the theoretical goal of active listening is affirming. You mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What it's supposed to do, not what it actually does. Just piss me <laughs> off. So what you're saying is, um, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, so I think step one can be l- listening is a way of affirming somebody's experience or problem uh-huh. or need for attention or whatever the, the driving need for the talking is. Um, Mm -hmm. you can affirm and acknowledge it or rather by acknowledging it, by giving it time and space, you are affirming it. Um, and then two, figuring out what your role in that situation is. So if you're a salesperson, um, it could be help them solve the problem with a product or service for which they will exchange money. Indeed. Um, or if it's, you know, a teacher or a consultant or, um, a writing center person, it could be help them make the plan for the next thing to help them be successful in whatever, situation they're facing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean there's there's and i i think whatever you've got to offer after that point um whether a lesson or a consultation or a product um if they feel heard you know even if what you have isn't the best match in the world at the very least you're starting to build a relationship because they do feel heard mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's huge. So this comes up in you know in that workshop with Paula Pace in Julian Treasure's couple of TED Talks. Um, I think that first step can be important because you might lose that person as a listener if you don't get that out of the way first, right? right. It's an issue of trust. So something that um, Paula Pace brought up in this workshop is <laughs> all the things we could be doing instead of actively listening, to borrow that phrase. Um, so it could be she had a checklist of sort of listening faults, and she was asking us mm-hmm. to choose maybe which two or three we might be guilty of the most. So one of them was um, in conversation, sometimes I'll find myself listening for a break so that I can jump in. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not listening yes. for the person. Um, and similarly, one that I think about quite a bit is um, I'm preparing my the next thing I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So related. Yes. Related. That's also on my list. Mm-hmm. But I think... In, in that one, what she was talking about mainly was when we find ourselves feeling very defensive, so that's why we're ramping up to the next thing we'd like to say, because we want to, like you said, we want to make sure that we're understood. We don't, we get, we get scared that we're going to leave a conversation misunderstood or misrepresented. Mm-hmm. Or not even getting our point in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that can be scary, so we get defensive, um, mm-hmm. especially people who... Um, you know, are already feeling this way in the world. So for instance, a customer who feels um, jilted by a previous product or some scam or, or something, um, they may walk in the door of the, of the shop already in a very defensive stance. So even if you can help them, if you can't get them to trust you, they won't be listening. They're going to be going through the track in their head of all the things that could go wrong, all the things that have gone wrong in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think that step one of acknowledging and affirming, like you were saying, you have to establish a relationship so that the person will also listen to you so that it can actually be an exchange right. and not just a rant. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like a good rant as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows. But not from angry customers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's one of, one of those checklist items in there. Uh, I said it's on my list as well. It's, a, again, from same book, Stephen R. Covey's Seven Habits. Um, mm-hmm. Also part of Seek First to Understand uh, Than to Be Understood is, is this idea of am I listening to reply or am I listening to understand? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, to uh, again, one of these things that, that – um, this is actually, I, I mentioned there were some skill things that people might not be thinking about, but this is a skill that needs to be practiced is to listen without preparing your reply. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, I, I, you know, for all the reasons you mentioned, I, I agree entirely with you and with, with Paula Pace on the defensiveness angle that, you know, not wanting to leave without being understood and, and the defensiveness and feeling feeling that, you know, that's why we ramp up to the next thing we need to say. But one thing I'll say too is, um, one of the reasons why listening is a hot topic and why people come up with stuff like active listening is because we tend not to do it naturally enough or often enough or well enough. Um, if, if you are feeling those feelings, if one is feeling those feelings of defensiveness and am I going to get my point across right and, and what do I say in reply to this while you're trying to listen to somebody else, one way to maybe put those aside is, and this won't always be true, but in most cases, most conversations, 
you have more than enough skill at coming up with a reply. You don't need to be doing that while the other person is talking. Like, that'll come. Mm. You'll have something to say when you open your mouth. Um and, and just reassure yourself. I mean, we're all, we're, you know, again, one of the reasons why, why listening advice is a kind of a hot topic is we're all really good at talking. We're not all really good at listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, just reassure yourself. Your point isn't going to be lost. You're going to think of it when it's time. Um, you've got time to pay attention to the other person. Mm-hmm. And this is something especially I need to tell myself because, I mean, as I find on this podcast, um, when I open my mouth, something is going to come out most of the time. Mm-hmm. I don't need to worry about that while you're talking. I do sometimes. I do often. Mm. <laughs> but and you're not alone. I, I hear you. I can afford, yeah, and I can, I can afford to stop and listen to you because I will have something to say when it's my turn. Mm-hmm. Not a problem. Yeah. So even just there, I, I felt the thing I was thinking about as you were speaking. I was sitting on my brain couch watching the words go by. Um, mm. Is that I... I Part of my fascination with silence, which has been building across the years, you know, Susan Cain's quiet has been a part of it too. Um, wanting to privilege silence as a moat, as a way of being in the world, like we talked about last week. Um, I, I think, especially in, urge, in oh, yikes, can't talk. Um, especially in extroverted cultures like, you know, Anglo American U.S. cultures. Um, <laughs> like we, culture. Like culture. Um, (laughs) like culture, I too, blah, blah, blah. Um, we're not terribly comfortable sitting in silence, even if we are actively thinking and trying to process. Um, you know, I've mentioned before something I've come to realize quite clearly. I, I think well verbally, whether I'm talking to myself, I'm sorting out my life on this very podcast. If I'm journaling, which is another form of talking to myself, Mm -hmm. um, you know, (laughs) um, forcing someone to listen as I think things through, whether that's my sounding board of a husband or, um, students or coworkers or whoever else. Um, but sometimes, and it, it doesn't serve me well here, I don't think, because silence for our listeners is not terribly helpful. Um, (laughs) but sometimes I find myself wanting to shut up while we're talking so I can think Mm -hmm. quietly for a second. Um, so this is a little different because, right, silence to the listener means something different than silence in a personal conversation over a yeah. glass of wine. Yeah, dead air is not the same as a, as a pause in a conversation. <laughs> yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome back to the Moment of Silence podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to Quiet Corner, Max and Katie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, we... And I, I see this with my students, you know, we talked about <laughs> how education sometimes is just making them uncomfortable and seeing what happens and making them reflect on it. Um, silence in the classroom is hard. Mm-hmm. People don't like it. No. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think people will like it to differing degrees, too. Um, you know, I, I, I can imagine, depending on what the silence is for, like if you're just making them sit quietly for a minute to... to ponder what it's like to sit quietly for a minute that might be uncomfortable for almost everybody but you know if it's a difference between like let's have a totally silent time of journaling mm-hmm. versus a a classroom discussion some of your students are going to be like phew <laughs> for the next five minutes i don't have to talk or or interact with people mm-hmm. absolutely um 
you know, and the same same thing happens. I think I think interpersonally, like you know, two people who are together in a friendship or a relationship or a roommate situation. If one is an introvert and one's an extrovert. For the introvert, hanging out might mean, like, I'm sitting in the same room as you reading a book. And the extrovert might be like, I'm being ignored and, and drowned in this ocean of inattention. Um, whereas if they're, if it's like, to hang out, we have to be talking, the introvert might be like, oh, my God, this is work. Mm. Why are we doing this? We should just be hanging out. Mm -hmm. So I think at the core of that, and it's come up implicitly earlier in this conversation, too, I think a lot of listening and making sure that conversation and communication are productive is about managing expectations. Mm. Because if, so I was thinking about it, you know, with the, the <laughs> silence in my class example, um, because we do, for instance, have quiet writing time to open most class periods, whether it's um, a free writing prompt that is more general or, a prompt that gets the students thinking about the reading we're going to be discussing, you know. So in particular, that gives introverted or shy or anxious students a moment to collect their thoughts before, you know, we start speaking or we're working in groups or something. Um, there is that type of silence. Um, there are times, though, where in conversation I've asked for some type of response and people mm -hmm. either are um, slow to think of an answer or slow to respond. And I mm. let us sit in 10 seconds of silence. Um, and that's a very different type of energy mm -hmm. than silence with a different purpose. Um, yeah. but if, if you draw attention to the function of, of the silence, then it will be received differently. So um, you know, silence and communication too. When, um, you know, this goes for any type, like if you are expecting a reply to an email, but then you get the automatic reply saying that someone has something, um, important going on in their schedule and they may not respond to you this weekend, whatever, whatever, then your expectation should shift. They've given you mm -hmm. information that should change how you are silently thinking about them and why they're not responding and right blah, blah, well blah. yeah i mean uh, you know if if you wait a week to get a reply to something in email that is that is maybe uncomfortable silence in a way that uh i will be out of the office from monday july 17th through sunday july whatever six days after the 17th is i can't do date math right now i'm too tired Yay. um <laughs> but yeah uh, one thing that popped into my head when you said that too was like, as far as setting expectations for the purpose of the silence, like I, I made a joke a moment ago about a moment of silence podcast, but that's a very good example. Like if a speaker went to a lectern and then just stood there with his head down for a minute, not saying anything while the audience was silently waiting, that's uncomfortable in a way that if a speaker goes to a lectern and says, before we begin, let's have a moment of silence for our fallen comrade, John, and then puts his head down. That minute, some people might find painful or awkward, but more than likely, they're they're going to feel more positively disposed towards it. Mm -hmm. um, and wherever their mind goes, they're going to be more comfortable with sitting there with a bunch of silent strangers than they would if it was just happening mm -hmm. because someone wasn't filling the space they were supposed to fill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Silent, silent, silence. <laughs> mm -hmm. were there yeah. other things you thought about when i brought this to the table 
I think I think just one thing that I should put on the table, um, <laughs> an admission that I am I is introverted as I as I claim to be and constantly crow about on this podcast. I am not a great listener. Mm. Um, I think I actually said that in the didn't I say that in the um, the first episode about Susan Cain's quiet when we went through the quiz. Yeah, because that I'm, people don't mm-hmm. say I'm a good listener. Yeah, it's it's sort of one of those inventory items. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I would say, I I mean, it's an area I need to work on for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to do, do more active listening. So what I'm hearing is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other other thing that occurred to me, um, also Covey related, because um, it's I think it's his work where I've encountered this the most often, but it's a much bigger sort of spiritual or psychological idea. But... Um, a function of silence um, and a type of listening that I think we're also sometimes bad at is listening to ourselves. Hmm. Um, I think very often when we are thinking, um, we're thinking our thoughts. We are not, we're not listening to them. Um, and I, I think some of the time we mistake our thoughts for ourselves in, in a way. Um, and I, I do think sometimes it's a good exercise if you are somewhere quiet. Um, to just reflect on what you're thinking right now and what that says and not in a way like, you know, well, I'm thinking these thoughts and therefore I'm bad or I'm thinking these thoughts and, and therefore I'm I'm not good enough or I'm thinking these thoughts and therefore they're true. But just to listen to them and hear them for what they're saying and and then judge them on their merits. Hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, I don't have a real good concrete example in mind, but just thinking about things like anxiety Um to try to take a moment to listen to what an anxious thought, you know, something that a loop that's running in your head about something scary, something you're worried about, something you're feeling anxiety about, uh, to listen to what it's actually saying and reflect on it as something that you're hearing, not something that you are. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of make that that differentiation. Um, I should mention, by the way, I am not a psychiatrist and this is not mental health advice. And if you are suffering from anxiety at a clinical level, you should seek help from the appropriate professional. Mm-hmm. Um, but on a, on a more more mundane level, somebody who has, let's say, acute anxiety rather than chronic um, or who is having some other kind of, of thoughts, you know, run through their head that, that could stand to be exercised maybe a good way to exercise them would be to listen to them and not to listen to them again in the sense of saying well you know i think this therefore it is true therefore it is who i am Mm -hmm. no it's just a thought Mm -hmm. it's just a thought it's part of your brain that wants to be heard that's why you can't stop thinking about it because something inside you you know some some portion of your brain says this is important listen to this pay attention to this so hear that part of you out Hear that part of your brain out and reflect on the fact that it's something that you're hearing, not something that you are. Mm-hmm. That's super interesting. I'm trying to think of um, – I'm thinking of an example, and if it's not quite what you mean, feel free to say so. But I'm thinking okay. of even moments when I catch myself experiencing a feeling that I may be giving the wrong attribution to. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I might think that I am very frustrated about this one thing that happened until I realize um, (laughs) a very um, gendered or sexed example. But then I may realize, oh, I'm on my period. So I have a lot of hormones coursing through my body right now. (laughs) And maybe my weird Mm -hmm. mood today says more about why I'm feeling this way than this one Mm -hmm. tiny thing that happened, right? Right. I mean, that's real. Like that that reflection – 
Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know what other I, women's experiences are, but well, it's worth it's worth pointing out for any male listeners that that is a constructive reflection for a woman to have with herself. That's not something you should probably point out. <laughs> that was very gracious of you to to say. Um, <laughs> the men in my life are very good about not doing that sort of thing, mm-hmm. so I didn't even think of that. Yeah, disclaimer. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I, and I will say, if you if you are in, you know, if you've got a relationship, like you, you know, you with a friend of yours, girl to girl, like, and with things other than. <laughs> things other than the period um i do think it's okay if somebody is suffering from some kind of bad mood anxiety and doesn't understand why they're reacting to something just do an inventory mm-hmm. um and obviously you can do this with yourself like you're talking about doing it with yourself yeah. i have done this with other people though let's do an inventory of what's going on mm-hmm. like have you slept mm-hmm. you know are you and, and not even psychological but are you taking the normal amounts and dosages and timing of medication that you usually take mm-hmm. is there anything go, like are you sick is your immune right. system suppressed are you are you pregnant <laughs> um <laughs> i would not ask that of somebody right but well, um, you know what i mean like yeah. let's run through the inventory of things that you know about this other person and things you can comfortably ask this other person and figure out what is really going mm-hmm. on um, I do that with myself all the time. I, I, if I'm at work and I am really about ready to fly off the handle at somebody, um, luckily I've never flown off the handle anybody at my current job. I, I, because I've done it in various contexts before, I've learned, you know, take a breath and think about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. And very often it's because I'm tired and I'm grumpy and I'm really mad about something that happened earlier in the day that has nothing to do with this. Mm-hmm. So, so this is good and this this ties back into the things that can get in our way when we're trying to listen well. Um, Mm -hmm. So part of this, um, I think this would fall into this category, but in um, communication studies, one category of distraction that keeps you from communicating well is is called physiological noise. So that could be anything Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. the inability to focus on an email when there's a jackhammer going on at a construction site Mm -hmm. outside the window. Um, But I think it could also refer to I'm not feeling well or my hormones are out of whack. Therefore, I'm not listening well. Um, right. I think that'd be a form of physiological noise. It's it's probably not a good time to talk about the state of your relationship and how you and your, your um, long-suffering spouse can move forward if you just got done running 10 miles for your life because you were being chased by an animal. Yeah, maybe not opportune. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For, for sure. sure. No, I think that's. I think um, you asked, you said when you first began whether or not that would that that really relates or ties you know to what I was saying. I think that's exactly the right kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think it is a. What I am getting at is it's a question of attribution. Mm-hmm. You know, are you listening to your thoughts or are you assuming that you that either your thoughts are you or your thoughts are facts? Mm-hmm. Um, or neither forever. of which is true. Or forever. Yeah. Are yeah the thoughts indeed. Forever. Yeah. Are they immutable? Are they factual? Are they you? I don't think most thoughts are any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you are the one thinking the thoughts. Your brain is coming up with these thoughts. Your mind is experiencing these thoughts. You are not these thoughts. Mm-hmm. And you should listen to them. If you don't like them, you don't like where they're taking you, you should listen to them as though they're somebody else. Mm-hmm. And and judge them on those merits. Mm-hmm. Um, that's uh, something I've cited before that I, I got from Tim Pitchell, although I think a lot of people have researched this. I mean, we're always better at giving advice to other people. <laughs> Like, it's super easy to say to somebody else, again, going back to, to, you know, comparing listening advice to diet advice, it's very easy to say, well, obviously, you should eat less and exercise more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's harder for us to, you know, we look at our own lives and say, well, I'm too stressed. I don't have enough time for those things. 
Mm-hmm. You know, the reason that the reason that that guy over there is flabby is because he needs to get off his butt and run. But the reason that I am is because I don't have time to run. You know, we do we do that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to point out to other people, you know, what's what their problems are. Um, I think with our thoughts, the same thing. If you treat your thoughts like they are you, it's very easy to assume that they are immutable, that they are you, that they are facts. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to them like they're somebody else, it might be easier to say, you know what? That's an idea about the world, but that's all it is. Have I talked on the program about how sometimes I'll wistfully imagine that we are in a a, a sci-fi world and this is all simulation? Uh, No, I don't think so. So, but but I'm I'm familiar with the idea in in, you know philosophy and Mm sci-fi. No, as you would be. I I got on a kick listening to. a very entertaining and, and thoughtful podcast called Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, which is um, a lot about um, sci-fi fantasy fiction, um, pop culture involving those topics and genres. Um, but I was on a long kick of listening to that stuff. And then one day it finally clicked for me that I'd been thinking a lot about uh, alternate universes, um, mm-hmm. you know, creation stories and stories in which the protagonist discovers that they are living in a simulation, um, a la the matrix and things like that. Um, yeah. And then I I was listening to all this stuff very deeply for many weeks while I was doing things like, uh, putting new blinds up in the house, things like that, getting rid of the old dingy grimy ones and putting up new, you know, plastic Mm -hmm. slap blinds. Um, and I would go through these thoughts like, so, if this is the simulation and I'm, I'm sitting here spending my time, I'm, I'm putting up blinds in a house. Like this is life. This is, you know, and just sort of like freaking myself out. Why did we simulate this? Right. Right. It's like what, this is very mundane. So this is a good, I mean, it does make it feel realistic if, if the realistic needs to include the mundane and the extraordinary mm-hmm. and everything else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then eventually I got to the point in my thinking where, where I stopped and I thought, you know, if this is a simulation, there's coffee and beer and cheese fries. So I, I think I'm good. <laughs> you know, whoever is running this thing mm-hmm. gave me these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to cut my losses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, Oh, we're probably get too far afield if I go into this. <laughs> no, and I, I'll, I'll try to keep mm-hmm. it reined in. So basically, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of like what you're saying. No single thing or experience or thought is the mm-hmm. entirety of all of this. Right. Well, and I can, I think I can go from that back to listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no single idea or thought or experience that is in your head is the entirety of human experience. And so, you know. You do need to listen to other people. You don't know what they're going to say. You don't know what it means to them. Mm. And you don't, men in particular, you don't automatically uh, have the ability to generate the answer to their question or problem because mm-hmm. that might not be why they're even talking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a whole other angle we didn't get into is the, the gender stereotypes of, you know, men listen to solve problems and women listen to, to build relationships or what have you. Um but I, I think people of all stripes do that kind of thing where we listen because we are we are preparing a response. We listen only enough to prepare a response to solve the person's problem that they're sharing mm-hmm. when that might not even be why they're sharing. Mm-hmm. No, I like – sorry. 
I couldn't tell. No, that's, that's, that's it. That, that was the end of the thought. Oh, okay, <laughs> you, you listened correctly. <laughs> well, and I was trying a- to make sure I listened accurately, too. A plus plus would talk to her again. <laughs> Which is good. We've got a few more of these to record. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like this note that we've we've arrived at. This idea that it is not all about you, and that's why this is worthwhile to bring our attention to. Mm. Yeah. I like it. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. good <sighs> um <laughs> you want to talk more about the simulation <laughs> if you want do you need to get out of here though don't you uh i got a i got a couple minutes okay so. if you are sure um, what were you gonna say yeah I, well, I have i have two thoughts about the world as the simulation thing <laughs> first of all like way back when the matrix first came out i i encountered this argument this philosophical argument that i i think is compelling and interesting but it goes like this it it says that uh if it is possible to realistically simulate a world, um, and if computing power and technology continue to advance um, to a to a a indeterminate state that is much higher than what we have now, then it follows that eventually it will be way cheaper to simulate life than it will be to have life. Um, that that eventually computing power would be such that you could have you know, virtually infinite numbers of realities and worlds and parallel universes simulated uh, much more cheaply than it is just to live in in the world, you know, hmm. or to have a universe. You, using far less resources, you can simulate a, re- a universe than have a universe, okay. essentially. Um, and the argument goes that if that's the case, then, then you know, one of a very small number of things is true. Either uh, intelligent civilizations, for some reason, always decide not to do that, because of, you know because of moral reasons or it's bad for some reason we can't see or civilizations almost always destroy themselves before they get to that point you know we never reach that technological point because we have nuclear war or destroy our environment or whatever mm-hmm. or third we are all living in a simulation almost certainly because there's going to be way more simulated people than people people mm. in the history of the universe yeah um <laughs> Now that said, I, I I fall down on the side that I you know I don't know what reality is ultimately comprised of specifically, but I my general feeling is that we're not living in a simulation because I am still not entirely convinced that a simulated person would have consciousness the same way a biological person would. I'm I'm not sold that we understand the mechanics of consciousness well enough yet that we will ever get to the point where we can compute at the level to simulate billions of consciousnesses and have them actually be conscious. Mm. Of course, that's me assuming that you're all conscious and it's not just me right, in the simulation right. alone. Um, 
Oh, it's so trippy, and I love it. I love this space, <laughs> which is why I'm okay with it. It's like this is fun. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, and I, I should say, like, some people get like really wrapped up in this. I'm not mad if somebody believes that, like, you know, if you if you map every neuron in a cat's brain and run them in a computer, then the cat's consciousness exists both in the cat and in the computer. Mm-hmm. You know that the computer version is just as conscious. Mm-hmm. If you think that's true. I I am not convinced, but I'm not mad about it. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a religious debate to me. Sure. Um, I think I think something more is going on. And here's the other thing. Like when I talk about this, sometimes people think I'm being like, you know, an old school like dualist and there's a spiritual nature and a soul and all that. And that may very well be, but I'll say this. The the my, the main point to me is if it is just that matter gets complicated enough and all of a sudden there is a there is a consciousness, there is something that thinks and feels and has a sense of itself. Mm-hmm then matter is way the f*** weirder than we think it is. Mm, mm-hmm. You know? Like, the universe is inherently... Like, we may not, there may not be a soul, there may not be an afterlife, but the universe at that point is essentially spiritual. Stuff feels, and that's weird. Yeah. And that is not, that is not like, physics as the typical, I'm an atheist and I believe in science, you know, understands physics and chemistry and all that. Um, <laughs> that's everything. Stuff, if stuff feels, you know... We are we are in a a profoundly, automatically and arguably spiritual universe, mm-hmm. just not in the sense of like you know God and magic and stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm. similarly, I don't think it'll happen in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering what sort of uh, turning point it will be in human development when we get to the point where we can represent things that we currently can't, like what I see when I look. Okay. So here's an example. Um, Mm -hmm. no one experiences color the same way. Yeah. And yet because of (laughs) now we're, now we're like deep into stoner conversation. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) How do I know the green that you see is the same green that I see? Oh man, is that all this is? And I'm just now getting to it. I've never done pot (laughs) max. Like this this is a real Katie confession. So like I just got to this on my own at at age twenty six. But I mean I haven't I haven't either aside from concerts where it's in the air. But you know. <laughs> oh man, you're right. Never mind. The stoners have already had this conversation. Man. No, you can keep going. I was just you know, but you're you're saying like when we can externalize how things are represented internally to us. Yes. So that was the example, or things like um, could we document dreams? Mm-hmm. things like that yeah so that we could actually yeah. share perception so that's my thing is like i feel like and not that i know anything about it, i compared to people i don't know things about science mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll just say that um i feel like that will be a big moment in in human experience when we can uh externalize or at least share perception mm-hmm. yeah it'll it'll yeah it'll be interesting um I I will see if I can find something about this for show notes if any of this goes in after the <laughs> closing credits. It might not. We'll see. But um, I I have I have read that you know that's one of the problems with the 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 sci-fi comic book ideas of of like mental telepathy is that everything ex- the way we represent it like with sights and sounds that are shared mm-hmm. is all external abstraction. Like our language is a complete abstraction. No two of us have the same set of neurons doing exactly the same thing to represent, say, the word the mm-hmm. or or the idea of a ball or, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's a little bit different every time it's represented in a human brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's no, you know, <laughs> your your brain couldn't read my brain. Mm-hmm. 
Right. My brain would internally be speaking an entirely different language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You bet. Good. So uh, listening is important. <laughs> it is. And it's not all about you. It's probably a simulation. Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Nailed it. All right. Stop recording. Yeah, I think that's good.